0: All of the traditions, the dinners, the shopping, the movies, uh, it's that time of the year, and and it's time for those traditions. I'm curious, like, what's, just give me like uh, four or five people, tell me what your favorite tradition is. Now's your chance. Now's your chance to be in the sermon. Tori? Polar Express. (laughs) Is that a good movie? Christmas. Christmas. Oh, you watch it on Christmas Eve, so it's coming up. I've never seen it. Kelly? Christmas Eve service. Awesome. Yeah, it's a good time. Christmas Eve, by the way, uh, we will have Christmas Eve and Christmas here this year for sure. I know there's a lot of debate. There's a lot of questions out there and uh, kind of social media land, not necessarily about what we're doing, but Christmas in general. I heard it said this way that, uh, you know, not going to church on Christmas Day is kind of like celebrating your anniversary alone uh, without your spouse. So um, I'll just leave that sit right where it sits. Somebody else. Somebody else. So the surprise of the secret Santa, that's awesome. We've done that for a long time, too. We love it. One more. Betty? Something in their life, and virus. Awesome. So kind of a resolution slash uh, uh, pre-resolution. pre-resolution. Awesome. Awesome. You know what gets lost in a lot of times, and I'm not saying this gets lost in your traditions necessarily, but I think oftentimes, and especially in our culture, there's things that kind of get lost in, in and around this time of the year, in and around the holiday season. Uh, We often forget, we often forget this is that Jesus coming in flesh is really the centerpiece of all of history. It's really the centerpiece of all of history. Ladies, if you think about. Uh, your preparations coming up for holiday dinners, and if you think back just a few weeks ago to your preparations and and how you were doing this as a family or what have you or gathering with neighbors, your preparation for Thanksgiving and 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 what what. Rides in your mind a lot of times is how is the table going to look and what's in the middle? What's the centerpiece? In a lot of ways, God's the same way in his master plan of all of history, and that is putting Jesus right as the centerpiece of all of history. Jesus coming to earth in human form, we call it the incarnation, was that centerpiece of God's plan. And I want to talk about God's plan a little bit uh, today. I've been thinking about this and, and thinking about how it looks. Really, it, it could be put this way, and kind of the title to the sermon, is the great rescue. God's plan is really the great rescue of mankind. And it, I've been a fireman in the past, been on the local fire department here. I've been a part of a lot of rescues in that sense. I've been, I've been a part of rescues that, that weren't successful. And many of you have either served in that capacity, either EMTs, first responders, in the military. Maybe you were just the the neighbor that helped the other neighbor rescue them. There's been a lot of rescues go on lately. If you drive up and down any country road or county road here in Stevens County, you'll see all these strange-looking markers. And it's where different people have stuffed their vehicles in the ditch. Here and there. And maybe that was you. Maybe you were the one stuffed in the ditch. I don't know. But whatever it took... Whatever happened there, it required a rescue, didn't it? Didn't it? It required rescue. Maybe you were on the the giving side of that and helping out a neighbor or helping out a passerby. God's plan is a great rescue, and we're going to look at that plan today. Before I dive into where we're going to go, I want to say that every rescue plan has at least five basic parts. There's five components if you're sizing up an operation that that need to be taken into consideration first, what's the problem? Like what what, what brings us to this point that needs that that a that uh, rescue needs to be employed? So what the what is the problem? Then the solution. Come together and find a solution. Then the timing. There's a timing when it all takes place. And then the execution of the solution. And then, of course, the fifth one is the return. There's one passage that gives us really a great look behind the veil, behind the curtain of God's rescue plan, and it's really a look from God's perspective as He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Apostle John wrote down these words, and it's right at the very beginning of John's Gospel. Grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 1, verse 1. We'll see what the Father has to say to his people through John. He says this: "In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life and the light and <clears throat> the life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came uh, for a witness, to bear witness to the light that all, <clears throat> that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light, that the, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the word, ver, world. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. But as many as received Him, to Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And here's your Christmas verse for today. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Each component of God's rescue plan uh, breaks out this way. So what is the problem? What would require such a rescue? What would require such a solution to put one person at the centerpiece of all of history? The problem is sin. The problem is sin and, and... uh, candidly, in the church today, sin is not often spoke about. It's not often taught on. It's not often referred to, because in a lot of churches uh, <clears throat> that are out there, they don't want they don't want you to feel bad. They don't they don't want you to have a complex. But the problem is, is that without talking about it, without understanding what the problem is, the solution can't really be enjoyed. When we shared Jesus with people and maybe this is your story, when somebody shared Jesus with you, they really started with all the benefits. They didn't start with what the problem was. They started with all the benefits, and so they're kind of trying to sell you up on Jesus, so to speak, rather than really starting with where the issue is. My cousin used to sell rainbow vacuums, and I remember when we were first married, and she, she was retired. She had been a sheriff deputy and a city cop in Colville, and she uh, called us up and she says, uh, are you guys interested in a rain view, rainbow vacuum? And my wife said, absolutely, come on out. Let's take a look at this thing. I was a little more skeptical, let's be honest. And uh, <clears throat> she really didn't talk about the benefits that much. She spent most of her time talking about how, how crazy dirty our carpets were how much this is going to freak people out how much dead skin is in your furniture it was it was grossing my wife out and then i'm looking at all these blown up pictures these magnified pictures of you know carpet fibers and and and, and you know the pillows on your couch and all this stuff and i'm like man this is i didn't realize it was this bad i didn't realize it was that bad at all And we really wanted a rainbow vacuum cleaner. And when it all came down to it, we said, no, we want one. We can't afford one, but we want one. And I'll also say that down the road we actually bought one just because we were so impressed. But my cousin spent most of her time not on all the benefits. The benefits become obvious as we looked at what the real problem was. sin really is the same way. When we really understand what the issues are, when we really understand what what our inherited problems are, when we really stand, understand what the barrier is between us and God, then the solution looks really appealing. It's a no brainer. The Book of Romans, Apostle Paul, really identifies our inherent problems. Romans three twenty three says, "For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." When the Bible says all, all means all. That's all. All means so when 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 paul inspired by god says that everybody has sinned no exceptions not not the monk that's up in the monastery living by himself for you know 50 years not that guy the bible says everybody has sinned all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of god that 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 picture that's out there is is the one of the target and the arrow and you miss the bullseye and i miss the bullseye that's called sin so all of sinned and fallen short of the glory of god then drop down a few chapters to romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death that sounds pretty negative mark yeah you're right it is pretty negative because that's where sin goes sin leads to death we all uh, we all struggle with it, just as humans. We struggle with with physical death for sure, right? We we panic over that. It's death is the number physical death is the number two fear that's out there. You guys know what the number one fear is? Public speaking. Do you know what that means? That means statistically that you and I would rather be the person in the casket than the person talking about the person in the casket, right? Because we're more afraid, statistically, statistically we're more afraid of talking up front than we are about dying. You've got to be careful with statistics, because statistically it's true that you're perfectly fine if you have one foot in hot coals and the other one in a block of ice. Statistically you would be normal, right? So you have to be careful with statistics. I get it. It's not just the physical death, though, that we're dealing with. It's not just physical death that Paul is talking and preaching and teaching on here. It's spiritual death. And the sin of Adam and Eve there in the garden and the book of Genesis has put mankind into a free-for-all. And we've inherited that fallen nature from them. And our fallen nature, the depravity of men, the moral corruption, the wickedness, is both inherited, but we also know, let's be real, it's also volitional. We choose to sin. We struggle with sin. We're tempted to sin. We're tempted to just manage our sin rather than having victory over sin. And so we get into this just this washing machine of struggle, this washing machine effect in life, not knowing how to deal with it. We need a rescue, don't we? Titus 3.3 3 puts it this way. For we ourselves were also once foolish... Disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That's what sin looks like. And the problem is described kind of in these terms. Is there sin, there's there's separation, we experience shame, we, we exer we experience the, the difficulty then of, of what do we do now? How how do we, and and our natural instinct is just the same as it was for Adam and Eve, how do we pull some fig leaves around us and hide our issues? And why do we do that? Because now we find ourselves at a place of having a stolen identity. Our identity has been stolen away with the sin. So what's the solution? What's the solution if we agree upon the fact that our problem in this rescue is sin in our lives and sin in the world, then what's the solution? The solution really comes down to it's a rescue of redemption by ransom. It's a rescue of redemption by ransom. There's a verse that I was thinking on in preparation, and and Matthew records Jesus saying these words in Matthew 20, verse 28. Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, a ransom for many. Because you know what a ransom is? A ransom simply is this. <clears throat> it's the payment that you make to purchase freedom. It's the payment that's made so that, so that you can go free or so that somebody can go free. It's that payment. That's what a ransom is. So it means that Jesus came on this rescue mission to give his life. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says this. He says uh, about the state that we live in, he says it's enemy-occupied territory. That's what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise, C.S. Lewis says, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. I love that phrase. That the king has come, the king has come in disguise and invites us in to his world, invites us into relationship with him and we get to be then operators. We get to be, that's why I've said for for months now that that Jesus rescues us, but it doesn't end there. He rescues us to invite us in to be a part of his rescue team. And as believers, that's where we are. I love also the lyrics of the old Christmas carol. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransomed captive Israel, that mourns in lowly exile here, until what? The Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Jesus came so that he could ransom you and I. Not just you and I. It's not just for people that show up on Sunday. Let's be clear about that. It's he came to ransom everyone. Everyone. We'll get into that in just a minute. The solution to our sin problem is that the Savior would come to pay our ransom. And all the Bible then could be summed up with two words. Everything written from cover to cover can really be summed up in two words Jesus saves. This last Wednesday night, or just the other day, uh, with lots of people being sick and uh, whatnot, I had the opportunity. In fact, I would say it was kind of a panic moment because uh, who was going to teach the TNT class? And we didn't have a lot of kids here because a lot of kids are sick as well. But uh, it kind of. Tammy came in and said, hey, can you do this? And I said, what time do we need to get going? In five minutes. So the old verses, be ready in season and out of season, that was immediately in play, immediately on the table. It's like, all right, let me see the lesson. Looked at the lesson real quick. uh, Jumped to, uh, to action. But I shared this, is that not only is Jesus the centerpiece of history, and not only can we say that then that banner reads Jesus saves, is that that's, that's the centerpiece of the Bible as well. And if you think of everything from, I'll, I'll, I'll do it backwards so it's right for you guys, from Genesis to Malachi, all points towards Jesus. Everything about it, the storyline, everything points towards there. And, and many things in that are kind of a, a prototype or a will or a style or a type of things that were going to happen. But it points towards Jesus. Then you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, and that's the, that's the narrative, that's the story, that's where everything points to, is that Jesus saves, whatever your issue is, whatever your struggle is, whatever that thing, whatever that part of that sin that's got you captive, whatever, whatever aspect of it all, and it's different for different people, some people it could be porn, some people it could be drugs, some people it could be booze, some people it could be gambling, some people, almost everybody it could be pride, right? And if you don't think you have pride, then you have a pride problem. Right? And so everybody is captivated in some sort of a way, and Jesus saves. And he saves from that situation. And he saves you. And he'll save your neighbor. And he'll save the guy down the street and the lady at the checkout stand. Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament points forward to this rescue. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are accounts of the rescue. And Acts to Revelation, then, are the instructions on how to live by the Spirit in light of God's rescue. This is how it's done. Acts kind of lays it out. This is how the church gets started. This is how the Holy Spirit came. This is how the Word got spread. Yeah, they didn't want to spread too much, you know, and they huddled together and, and, and made a plan. It's like, you know, Paul stepped in and said, all right, here's how we'll tackle the world. You guys stay in Jerusalem. I'll do the rest of it. That was kind of like his M.O., I'll just go to the rest of the world. You guys do what you have to do. That's kind of my crazy humor way of looking at it. Everything points towards the rescue. So first we have a problem. Then we have a solution. And the timing of the rescue is really what we wanted to spend some time this morning. The timing, or the reveal... The incarnation, Jesus coming in flesh, in every rescue operation, timing is critical. Every, opera- every rescue operation, there's, there's pieces of timing that is critical. If we think back, and, and maybe you, some of you were up there, some of you weren't, and I refer to this often because it's probably one of the craziest actual rescue operations I've been a part of is when a friend of ours up in Summit spent five days up on Huckleberry in the middle of the summer, just a week before Robbie and Katie got married, and we just poured our energy as a community into trying to find this lady. And every day, you know, it's reaching 95 degrees, it's hot, we know she has no water, she had some dementia problems. Where was she? You know, we're searching thousands of acres, and so timing becomes critical. Every moment that we could put people on that mountain was critical. And, and, and the timing part of it, and, and the, f- the further it went, the, the more concerned we got. You get to day three or four, and, and, and I don't mean to be coarse in any way, but the reality was, is those of us that knew kind of how things go in these situations, we, weren't, we were looking for a body. We, we were looking for ravens. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a gross way. It's just the reality of how things go if somebody expires, especially at that temperature. Timing was critical. And in God's rescue plan, timing, I'm saying timing, was critical. The timing for Jesus to come couldn't have been better. It could not have been better. I'll give you a couple of reasons why in a second. First, I was inspired by this passage out of the book of Galatians, where Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, gives kind of this full picture But he really has this this key phrase, and I'll start in verse 3. Galatians 4, verses 3 through 7, reads this way. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, that's the phrase that's been ringing in my ears all week. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The fullness of time, that really is this. It's, that's God's perfect time. God's perfect time. Now, there's some aspects to, to how perfect it was. it was. It was perfect in this way. It was perfect globally. It was perfect globally. James Boyce, an American theologian, writes down this. i put it up on the screen for you. I couldn't put it any other way, so I decided, well, I'll just cut and paste it and give it to you. It was a time when the Pax Romana extended over most of the civilized earth and when travel and commerce were therefore possible in a way that had been formerly been impossible. Great roads linked the Roman Empire of the Caesars, and its diverse regions were linked far more significantly by the all-pervasive language of the Greeks. Add the fact that the world was sunk in a moral abyss so low that even the pagan cried out against it. And that spiritual hunger was everywhere evident. And one has a perfect time for coming. uh, And one has a perfect time for the coming of Christ and for the early expansion of the Christian gospel. Globally, it was the perfect time. It was also the perfect time prophetically. It was also the perfect time prophetically. The time was also right because the 400 and... 83 years prophesied by Daniel we're drawing to a close I can throw you a footnote see Daniel 9 chapter 9 verses 24 through 26 so it was, it was perfect globally it was perfect prophetically and there's a phrase that Paul writes about here born of a woman a reference obviously to the virgin birth there in verse <clears throat> 4 and born under the law a reference to what Paul would write earlier in the earlier verses and chapter in that book of Galatians about being under the elementary principles of the world. Because Jesus is God, He then has the power and the resources to redeem us. And because Jesus is man, He has the right and the ability to redeem us. He came to purchase us out of the slave market, as it were, from our bondage to sin and the elements of this world, the the natural way that the world works. Uh, Many of the theologians call it the ABCs of the world, the basic elements. He came to purchase us out of that way of operating, out of that world and into his kingdom. John 1 tells us that it was God's timing was experienced then by man. It was personal, it was perfect. And it was a perfect blend then, John records, of grace and truth. Remember our verse, Christmas holiday verse in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full, full of grace and truth. There couldn't have been a more perfect time for the Savior to come to pull off his rescue of mankind and in a more perfect way than to have it to be full of grace and truth. And Titus 3 then tells us that this rescue was also in the right time and in the right way. It was in the right time and in the right way. And if you think back to this, these verses that Paul wrote to his protege Titus, Titus 3, but when the kindness and the love of God or Savior towards man appeared... Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared, that was a perfect time. It was a perfect time for grace and truth. It was a perfect time globally for what was happening uh, politically and globally on, on earth. Perfect time prophetically according to what the Old Testament prophet Daniel said. Perfect time for the world to experience grace and truth. And the perfect time for the world to experience kindness and love. We've been cruising right along. I should incorporate more stories, I suppose. We've made it through, actually, the first three steps way faster than I thought. I guess I'm pretty amped up about this and speaking faster than normal. Ah, Long winter. What about the last two parts, then? What about the last two parts of how a rescue plan is pulled off, if you remember the first five? Or the list of five. The fourth one is the execution of the plan. So you have a problem, you have a solution, you have the right timing, which is the centerpiece of it all, which and we talked mostly about that. But what about the execution of the plan? And really it boils down to this the execution of the plan is the execution. Jesus gave of himself freely. Jesus wasn't murdered in the sense that, that he didn't want to die. Although we we know in his prayer, he submitted that to the Father the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane. If if any way this this cup can pass from me, yet then he submitted himself to the Father's plan. And he gave of himself. and The execution of the plan was essentially the execution, if you will, or the death of the rescuer. He gave his life a ransom. He gave his life a ransom. The word says that there's no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus gave of himself freely and willingly. He died and took on our sin, took on your sin, took on my sin, and paid the price that has always been the price so that you and I could experience freedom, that you and I could be rescued that you and I could live freely without the chains of sin and strain and struggle. We could live freely through Christ. So you have the execution and you have the return. The last two, we could spend actually a year of Sundays on these two parts alone, probably we should. But for today, just summarizing, I just wanna read a passage Talk about it a little as we go, because it really summarizes and it really talks about these key points that we've been covering, and especially the execution part and the return part. Ephesians 1 says this, Ephesians 1 verses 3 actually is where we'll start. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption by son, as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us. Accepted in the beloved. Right there from the get-go, the apostle Paul lays out a, a an interesting element in that this was God's plan from before time began. Really. God had this set up before time began. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Then drop down to verse 7 says in Him, speaking of the execution, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Paul's saying, hey, here's how the rescue went down. Because he's kind of writing about it, then looking back towards it. And he's saying this, he's saying that Jesus was so gracious, He was so loving towards people, like He cared about their rescue, and guys, for you and, and for you and I, I'll speak each to, to each side of it. Guys, for you and I, when when the word hey, there's a rescue that needs to take place. There's something within men that get fired up, that get juiced up, saying, "Hey, we got to do something." And for ladies, there's a, there's a component when when the word rescue is has laid out on the table like that or talked about, where your mind goes to. Man, as a lay, i just love to be rescued. You know, the damsel in distress deal. The whole thing. And so it's such a beautiful picture of how God approaches the issues that we face. That God brings that rescue. And so in in Him, then, we have redemption. We're redeemed. We're bought back. We're plucked out of. The price has been paid for our rescue in that redemption. That price was according to Paul, Jesus' blood, which equates to the forgiveness then of sins. The forgiveness of sins. That it's over. That it's over. I've worked through, been a part, been a beautiful opportunity to help people work through forgiveness. And in sharing with them, I, I, I say this, and I've said this, is that when forgiveness is sought and when forgiveness is extended then it's over then it's over there's no more keeping score there's no more keeping it in your back pocket there's no more holding on to it then it's over the forgiveness of sin Jesus treats and and provides that for you and I that when we seek his forgiveness When you came to him for the first time, he said, okay, I get it, I get it, it's over. I forgive you. We don't have to live under that. And oftentimes, though, we find ourselves kind of sliding back under that same umbrella. The same struggles with sins. It's the riches of Jesus' grace, he forgives us. And he pronounces our sins done with. Paul goes on to say there in Ephesians. I'll reread it so it's all in context. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. The mystery of God's will there's a lot of places in the Bible that talks about mystery. One of them would be that, that through all of history, uh, and especially the Jewish history, uh, the, mystery that the fact that the Gentiles would be freely invited in, that was kind of cloaked and hidden from them. This mystery is, is that sins would be freely forgiven. That one man would pay for the sins that everybody else couldn't pay for. Having been made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in <clears throat> in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be <clears throat> should be to the praise of of his glory. Verse 13, as I have highlighted in my notes as well, in him you have also trusted, after you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. Not only do we get freedom, not only do we get uncoupled, unchained from our sins. We then get Him. We get His Holy Spirit living inside of us. We get 100%, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year for our whole earthly existence as Christ followers, access to God Himself through the Holy Spirit. It's crazy to think of. Who would have ever thought of that? That was one of the things that was kind of hidden in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would just come and go and was on this person for, you know, and and then maybe on another person and the prophets and and all of that. But it was kind of, it wasn't a constant residing presence in God's people. Here he says, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It's a brand, if you will. It's a brand. It says Boom! Richest mark for Christ. It's that type of an effect that God has. He stamps us. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, Paul says, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Verse 19 I have highlighted and says, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power towards us who believe? So first in the rescue, we... We understand we have a sin problem. God's created a solution before time even began. Then He executes that solution at the perfect time when Jesus came and took on human flesh. Then the execution was His execution on the cross, paying for our sins. And here He says, Paul says, not only do we have the Holy Spirit, but according to the working of His mighty power. And what is the exceeding and great, greatness of His power towards us who believe. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, convicting us of sin, leading us in righteousness, preparing for what's to come, the Word says, but then here we also have this, this power this dynamite inside of you and I, of every believer, that, it, that then fuels us, fuels you, empowers us to live as Christ would have us to live. It's the craziest story you'd ever dream up. It's not a dream. It's a reality. The Bible says this is a reality for those who are in Christ. According to the working of His mighty power, verse 20, which He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. There's the phrase I was getting at. The same power that God exercises when he raised Jesus out of the tomb, when he brought a dead man back to life. That's the type of power that resides in this rescue operation in the end. That's the type of power. That's what's fueled the martyrs over the centuries, the early church fathers. That's what's fueled all of those who gave themselves so that the gospel could go out and the word of God could be printed. All of that is what fueled and empowered the people that have gone before us to live in their day and in their age and to promote God And to share God's rescue story in their generation and in their land. That's the power. If you wonder where the strength comes from, it wasn't willpower. It was God power. It was God's energy working in them. Which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And here's the type of authority that Christ has in this rescue operation. And he put all things under his feet, and he gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This operation is not just a, hey, how can we scrape somebody out of the fire, you know, and just, and just barely keep them alive. That's not this type of operation that God's pulled off over, the his, over history. That's not the type of, of uh, storyline that puts Jesus in the middle, that it's just a barely getting through, a barely overcoming. This is victorious. This is, the, Paul's, Paul's telling the Ephesians, and we're here to talk about it today, that this is like power over anything and everything that is out there. So I ask you with that, what is it? And you can, you can write your own notes down, think and pray about that through the course of the week, talk with, your, uh, talk with your spouse, talk with family, talk with somebody. What is it then? Is there things out there for you? That still have a power over you. That still have control over you. That you're still just like somehow just partially under this umbrella, this cloud, this thing. Just have some sort of a chain around your ankle. Where you're not living in that type of freedom. Not the type of freedom that the Bible describes. Not the type of freedom that we've talked about. That that you're not or or, uh, that I'm not. I'll put myself right out there in the chair with you that we're not living under this type of power, this type of energy that Paul is describing. He's put all of this under Christ's feet and gave Him to be the head, gave Him to be the head over all things to the church. We, uh, years ago, changed how we do things around here. and One of the residing statements that's come out of that is, is that uh, there is one senior pastor of this church, and that's Jesus. It's not the guy that you guys are looking at. I'll be the first one to tell you that. It's not me. I get the honor and privilege and, and, and frankly, the, the intrepidation of being the guy that stands up here and does most of the preaching. But I'm not the senior pastor. The Bible's really clear who the senior pastor of the church is, and that's Jesus. And that's just how we roll. That's how we operate. And so then everything then gets submitted to Him. Whatever that thing is. Whatever that tension. Whatever that conflict. Whatever that desire. Whatever that sin is. Everything then gets submitted to Christ in our lives. As individuals. As couples. As families. And as the church. Because Jesus is over it all. It's not me. I can't do, I'll say this, I'll broaden it out to the elders. We can't do for you what Jesus can do for you. We can't do that. Only Jesus can rescue you. Only Jesus can come in and make the difference that needs to be made when it needs to be made in each of your situations. We can't do that. And I'll tell you how it plays out when we try. Most of the time we just become your enablers. To enable you to not really face up to the issues that God's calling you to face up with. I don't want to be an enabler. And I'll be frank. I'll give you a little confession. It's easy for me to be one. It's easy for me to be one. And there's other people in this room that it's easy. It's easy for us. We're so compassionate or, or, or we just don't like to see people struggle with things. Or for me, I'm a fixer. Like so when somebody rolls in with something that's broken, get the wrenches out. Let's go to work. I'm going to figure out why it's broken. I'm going to get out the cutting torch, the welder, and a box full of tools, and I'm going to make it work right. So it's, easier for, it's easy for me in that mentality to be a fixer and to be an enabler. Christ is the head of the church. That's who we take our troubles to. That's where we submit and surrender. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's difficult. Why? Because our flesh doesn't want to. Our flesh doesn't want to submit to Jesus. The enemy doesn't want you to submit to Jesus. You know, Our minds play tricks on us to not submit to Jesus. We have all of this pulling us in one direction. Yet the Bible says, and if the worship team wants to come on up, yet the Bible says that Jesus is our rescuer. And if you want to be rescued from your situation, if you want the rescue that only that Jesus can provide, if you want the true and living, and shall I say this, the eternal rescue of Christ, then you go to Him. Then you call out for Him. Then you look around and see what He's doing. Surrender and submit to that. It's not easy. I get it. And, and, and we can't necessarily do all of those steps for one another. I understand that. I will give you this promise, though. I will give you this promise from me, and I'll give you this promise from your leadership in this church, that we will walk with you, but we won't do it for you. We will walk with you. We will pray with you. We will care for you. We will pastor you. And I say the leadership, meaning all of us, not just the elders, elders and deacons, that we care about your rescue, we just can't do it for you. Only Jesus can do that. He's the head of the church. He's the rescuer. Amen?